On this episode of Wild in the Streets, Commissario Matteo Rolandi is battling time and red tape as he tracks down the perpetrators of a fatal hotel bombing in Luciano Ercoli's Killer Cop from 1974. Hello and welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly and with me as always is the mean machine, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Ayo. What's up? Ayo, Liam, it's, it's yeah. December. Yeah, that's horrible. That's a terrible thing to say out loud. What happened to the year 2023, Liam? You know, when it started, I thought, this shit's going to take forever. Like, I really, mm-hmm. it started very slow for me, I feel like, or at least that's my memory of it. Um, I guess people will know if they go back and listen to episodes we recorded <laughs> in January. But it felt like it was like, oh, here we go. And now I can't believe it's almost over, especially because... I think 2024 is going to be a shit show, Doug, and I'm yeah, not excited for it at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it kind of feels like every year from now on, for the rest of existence, will be slightly worse than the year before. Yeah, that's fair. Liam, what do you think about the Steve Miller band? Not a fan. Yeah, they have that song, Fly Like an Eagle, and there's a, a line Fly in that that like says, an eagle. Mm-hmm. It, Time keeps on slipping. Slipping, slipping into the future. Do you have any thoughts about that? Into the future. That's right. That's the one. Apparently you like them a little bit more than you thought. (laughs) Well, I know that one song. Uh, I don't know that I even like. Don't you have this, Doug, where because terrestrial radio used to be a thing, you Uh have songs that you know very well that you don't necessarily enjoy, but they're in your brain? 100%. There's many, many ones I associate with like drives to and from like university and stuff like that. Right, right. There's this thing where it's just like... You know, and sometimes they'll even feel nostalgic for a song that you know that if it wasn't for the radio, you would have no attachment to. Like, um, uh, what's, oh, yeah. what's don't what's, have a don't have an example in the no chamber. no 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 no. I was I was about to say the 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 song where the music video the guy has the bucket hat and he's in the mall and he's like you going only the mall. get what you give yeah. Don't. I would never <laughs> like that song if the radio hadn't hammered it into my brain. But yeah. it's in there. It's like in my brain. And now Maeve legitimately likes that song. It's on her playlist. Oh, boy. And when I hear it, I always kind of want to skip it because I'm so tired of it. But sure. she really likes it. So I just I leave it on. It makes me sad. It's a little different here in Canada because we had and still have, I guess, to a certain extent, Canadian content regulations. So mm-hmm. there's always going to be a certain level of Canadian music that probably a lot of, of Americans would not be necessarily familiar with. But that also was the case for like classic rock stations. And I spent a lot of time in my teens. Don't judge me, listeners. We did not have a lot of radio options in Newfoundland where I grew up. So listening to classic rock and you become super familiar with these Canadian classic rock bands that had like one or two hits because they had to play them. It's a kind of an odd like outlier. You'd hear a Canadian band and like not hear Led Zeppelin, right? I mean, it, that's sure. just the way it yeah, would play yeah, out yeah, on yeah, those yeah. stations. Liam, I have a question for you. Okay. What's been your scariest encounter with the law? Oh, Jesus, Doug. Um, I did not prepare you for this question. No, you didn't. Um, scariest encounter. It's 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 honestly hard to say. I think most of my encounters at, with the law have actually been pretty much annoyances more than yeah. scary. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot and a lot of disrespect that didn't feel threatening, but certainly didn't make me feel good. Um, well, I definitely, uh, when I was a kid, uh, was at an event where someone tried to take the gun off a cop, but I don't know that that was. <laughs> The police officer's fault. Not was the, it you? Was, was no, you the one? no, 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 no. But that, so that was kind of scary. I guess the the closest I've really gotten to a scary thing where the source of the fear was the police was probably when I was working at Broad Street Ministry interactions with some of our homeless folks. There sure. were definitely times where police would come in looking for someone and immediately try to intimidate us uh to let them know where these folks were and half the time we didn't know who the fuck they were talking about you know what i mean like just because 
they would come for food or they'd come for services doesn't mean I would know everyone's like full names. A lot of times people would go by like street names. And so, you know, the, the, they were very belligerent about finding someone one time to an extent that I thought like, you know, is this going to pop off right now? Like, are they going to unload on somebody in the middle of the church? Like it was very hostile. Uh, But as far as towards me, I think, I think when I was a kid, I was scared of police, but they mostly just yelled at you and you ran away. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like I don't think I ever got threatened in a way where I thought, oh, I'm really going to get it right now um, that I can remember at least. Uh, but yeah, when, when I was working at Broad Street, there was a couple times police came in looking for, uh, I assume, a suspect and the level of hostility and their willingness to kind of push in to a space where we really didn't want them to go. Like, Hey, if we know this person, we'll go get them for you. But if you you burst into this meal right now, it's going to make people feel unsafe. Yeah. It's not a safe. Yeah. yeah. Even for the folks who you're not looking for, aren't going to feel great about that. And uh, most of the time that was actually chill. Like I'll be honest. um, Most of the people who came through police who came through were a bit more relaxed. Uh, But there were two different times where they came in in a way where I was like, if he is up there or she is up there, are you going to like start shooting man? Like they were like very tense. And yeah. in both cases, we didn't know who the fuck they were. It wasn't even just that they weren't there. I didn't even recognize the name, but they were yeah. convinced. I don't know if they gotten a tip or something, but they were convinced these folks were up in the space having food, you know, that we had the meal was in our sanctuary mm-hmm. and I'd be like, Hey, yo, like, I don't think so, and you can't come in here like rushing in here all. <laughs> Sir, it's literally know. called a sanctuary. You're not allowed in there. <laughs> it's just, it's you know, I, I, you know, whatever. I and again, like I, we're we're pretty negative on on the police on this podcast. What um, I get that an individual police officer feels like they're just trying to do their job, but there yeah. is a reality of like if I'm just letting you burst in here all amped up every other day people aren't going to want to come here anymore it's a you know what i mean like we're here to offer people services and a sense of safety if you are looking for someone and you have like you know a warrant i you know i, I you know we could try to talk to them and walk them out and you can you know grab them out here and you know for the most part that never really happened like most of the time they never had an actual warrant they just were like looking for somebody yeah. and i'd always be like well that doesn't sound good what, what, what do you mean you're looking for you know like that always i was never like super excited about about connecting them on that level you know probably for a police officer there's no bigger dream than killing a homeless person in a church yeah that must be like yeah you, <laughs> that must be the reason that they get into the force in the first place you would think right liam i mean <laughs> <laughs> now i have a unique perspective on this liam because as i've mentioned before probably on this podcast my father was a police officer and his father was a police officer. He was a sergeant in the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. Uh, And so my interactions with the police were extremely minimal when I was living in Newfoundland because I was, as another thing that we've really established on this show, a wuss and uh, not the kind of person who would make any sort of waves. Also, I was terrified of my father, so that probably was a contributing factor to it. Uh, And in my father's defense, he's since passed away. He was not at all violent towards me or a violent person generally. It's just that he almost certainly had severe post-traumatic stress disorder because he worked uh, as a police officer in Newfoundland in the 1980s. And Newfoundland in the 1980s was extremely economically depressed. So much of his job was cutting people who have hung themselves down from their apartment, right? Stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. Just just a lot of unpleasant stuff. and, And I don't think he processed that properly. But just to give you an idea, I think I may have mentioned this before. My father retired in the mid-90s as soon as they made it the law that uh, Royal Newfoundland Constabulary officers had to carry guns. Because previous to that, they didh uh, didn't carry guns. Um, sure. Just to give it an idea of how fucking different the world is at yeah, this point. Yeah, 100%. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bizarre thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, I haven't had uh, – those. I've certainly had encounters with the police at a place that I've worked at where they've come in and tried to be like – not pushing me around, but certainly be intimidating in the way that's like, you are just going to answer the questions that we're going to ask. You don't have any choice in the matter, that sort of thing. Um, but most of my negative police interactions have to do with, you know, being part of protests and things like that and just seeing. Sure, sure, do. sure. Well, and I've, I've been pulled over a good deal, but that always 
the why the, is that Liam is it drinking and driving yeah yeah, yeah. I'm always drunk no um <laughs> I, I, when I was young when I first got my license I got pulled over a few times for like speeding or I got pulled over twice for in theory running a stop sign I would argue that that didn't happen you know do, do you think that the rules don't apply to you uh, oh, I mean, they don't, but <laughs> I do respect people's safety. So as far right. as I'm concerned, and, you know, in both those cases, they were like, you know, I pulled you over. No. Well, you didn't fully stop at that stop sign. And I'm like, I did. And then they're like, do I smell weed? And both times, that was the next line. Do I smell weed? And, you know, Doug, I'm I'm a straight, I'm, I'm an edgeman. I'm a straight yeah. edge person. So every I, I time. Bet, s- I've been saying to the police officer, uh, sir, I'm straight edge. I'm sure that really goes over. No, well. in fact, one time when I was pulled over in Princeton, <laughs> Uh, it was like really late at night uh, when I was in grad school. I got pulled over, and they—it was very much. They, I hadn't even done anything wrong. It was very much. Uh, what are you driving this late? You know, you've been drinking. And I said, I'm straight edge. And this cop goes, Oh, I've heard that one before. Get out of here with that bullshit. And <laughs> no, then you have not, he sir. Goes, and then he goes, He goes. So then I guess you won't mind if I search your car. And I should have said no, Doug, because. Yeah. People plant shit all the time. But, you know, I'm in Princeton, and I was so mad. You know, I just wanted to get home. You know, I to be honest, I had just been hooking up, and I was tired, and I just wanted to get home and go to bed. And I was like, yeah, what are hooking up with... uh with sweet lady H, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's what that's what I call it. No, uh, I, you know I was worn out, and I so I, I just instead of being the the good citizen I should have been, I said whatever the fuck you want, asshole. And so Ooh. he did. He searched my car, and he pull, comes out. He's like, "What's this then?" And it was a bottle of ginger beer. And I was like, "Go ahead and read those ingredients, genius." And the other guy who I was with looks at me and goes, "Hey man, I'm sorry about this." <laughs> Oh, man. And I was like, yo, it's not a good sign when your partner's apologizing for you being a dickhead. But, you know, dude, easily. I mean, again, I'm not saying the Princeton police are corrupt, particularly. All I'm saying is cops. I'm just going to I'm going to edit out that part where you just say, yeah, the yeah, Princeton yeah. police are corrupt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but 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 cops do plant stuff. So I should have been yeah. like, no, you can't search my car, motherfucker. Like, what are what's your what, what are your grounds for suspecting me of anything when I wasn't even driving weird or whatever? But instead, I just was so pissy with this dude. And again, it's my ego of being a straight edge dude that like when I get accused of being drunk, I'm like, oh, is that right? You know, I'm just always really it's like yeah when i was in eighth grade man like what the fuck do you want from me uh sir you think i'm drunk right now do you see this crudely drawn x on my hand right now <laughs> i do think it'd be it would be even more funny if i did have a straight edge tattoo like i have a friend who has two flaming x's tattooed on his hands and i'm always like oh, i can't wait for someone to just stop him so i'd be like you've been drinking like uh, no <laughs> I don't think he has. Sir, I think this means you have to let me go right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like As if that's evidence or something. Totally. Uh, speaking of the police exceeding their authority, Liam, <laughs> uh, today's film is 1974's Killer Cop. And as per usual, uh, one of the sources that I used for choosing the films for this uh, podcast is Roberto Curti's Italian crime filmography from 1968 and to 1980. Uh, this particular um, film, it, it's good that... I have the write-up from this guide because it does give a lot of context into the fact that what we're going to be talking about today, the plot of this movie, is somewhat based in reality. In the mid-70s, there were a lot of bombings taking place in Italy um, by both far-left and far-right political movements, but mostly far-right. Let's be fucking serious about it. And the one at the center of this uh, movie, which takes place in a hotel, it was based specifically on the Piazza Fontana bombing, which occurred on the 12th of December, 1969. Uh, This is when a far-right group, uh, they exploded a bomb in a bank in Rome, uh, and they actually found some other bombs, I guess, as well, that that didn't uh, explode. And because these kind of political bombings were happening, there was this this culture of fear throughout Italy, and that's kind of at the center of of Killer Cop. Uh, the, The plot device in this case is a bombing that takes place in a hotel, an accidental bombing, though the bomb was meant to go off elsewhere. And one of the things they do in this movie, Liam, is they show footage of a funeral, and that's actual footage of the funeral from the Piazza Fontana bombing. What do you think about that, the use of actual footage in things like this? I mean, it's hard not to see it as a bit exploitative, but at least it wasn't footage of, like, 
go- you know what I mean? Like, yes, like, like the corpses and yeah, stuff corpses like that. and yeah, shit. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, using official footage. I mean, you know, American movies do that all the time with other sort of historical events. So, I guess it's not that weird. It is it, to me. It's a little weird only because this movie's coming out not that long after the event, right? Well, I mean, a few years, right? Three or four years at this point. Yeah, but three or four years, I mean... I know, it's not that much time, right? I mean, it'd be like doing a movie from 2004, 2005 with footage of, like, 9-11 type uh, material, though I guess there were a few of those. Yeah, I, I just... I, I imagine that there were some people who still felt those events pretty intensely, you know, that they were pretty raw experiences for people. So I, I'm, I wonder if there are folks who maybe saw this movie who didn't quite realize that that was going to be so strong a presence and maybe that mm-hmm. was upsetting for them. But otherwise it's like, it's hard to like call it out in this movie when it, it's kind of common in a lot of different kinds of movies, you know, there is a Mondo aspect to it, right? Like a Mondo yeah. movie, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the way that it's, it's used in this movie isn't like, you're not supposed to be gawking at it. It's probably right, just supposed right, to be right, right. recognizable to the audience that, Oh, I remember when this is happening. That's what this movie is commenting on specifically. Yeah, and and I think that that it the atmosphere of the movie is one of conspiracy theory sort of thing, you know. Very much so so yeah, I yeah. I think that 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 using the real thing kind of maybe gives it a little more gravitas, you know. Yeah. So I'm just going to read just a little bit from uh, Roberto Curdy's book. He says here, Killer Cop underlines the basic premise for paranoia films. The truth is impossible to decipher, and the puppeteers can only be represented in an elusive manner, with their faces deformed by wide-angle shots or engulfed in darkness, thus virtually unrecognizable. That's perhaps the only way a simple genre film like Killer Cop can cope with the pure, simple, and terrible reality of the period. The only way out is to admit the ultimate ignorance of the truth everyone is striving for. Just like Pasolini did, it's, respi- it's referring to uh, Pierre Pasolini, who did a write-up at that time period, just talking about that everyone knows who's responsible, but there's no proof. So just like Pasol- Pasolini did, the film itself seems to imply, you know, we know, they know, but we don't have the proof, we don't have any clue. That's where the Poliziotesky stops to display the patent dichotomy between interiors and exteriors, above and below, shadow and light. That is to say, the streets swarming with life and death on one side and the palaces of power on the other. And that's what this movie is really all about. It's that uh, even the quote-unquote villains are just being kind of uh, manipulated by these higher powers to do whatever they want. uh, And they don't care, those higher powers don't care if anyone involved lives or dies. Uh, this was a, is a movie, Liam, that does not really live up to its title, but I am very, very curious to hear what your feelings on it are. So let us take a break. When we return, 1975's Killer Cop. Crowded hotel in downtown Milan, a bomb has been planted. The timer on its detonator has only minutes to run. A young cop discovers it by accident and is drawn into a terrifying nightmare of intrigue, brutality, and ruthless killing. That is Killer Cop from 1975, a.k.a. La Policia Mane Legate, literally meaning the police have their hands tied. Uh, that Italian title is a lot more accurate than the uh, American one. It's also known as Portrait of a 60% Perfect Man and the Police Can't Move. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess. Uh, yeah, this is uh, from the Italian crime filmography. It actually has a bit of a uh, plot uh, breakdown that's a little more accurate. It says here, A bomb explodes in the lobby of a hotel in Milan, causing many deaths and injuries. Commissioner Matteo Rolandi, who was watching a drug dealer inside the hotel, is one of the witnesses. A few hours later, his colleague and friend Balsamo comes across the man who planted the bomb, the young Franco Ludovici, but is unable to arrest him. The next day, a mysterious killer eliminates the unfortunate policeman. While an honest magistrate, General Attorney De Federico, uh, conducts the official investigation, Rolandi attempts to track down the perpetrators and instigators of the massacre and Balsamo's assassination on his own. However, each time he discovers consistent evidence, 
happens, the mysterious organization precedes him by dispatching those who know too much. That's the case with Ludovici's accomplices, Balsamo's murderer, Ludovici himself, and finally a girl, Papaya, who's allegedly Rolani's confidant, but actually an affiliate to the organization that has a fifth column in Milan's police headquarters. Eventually, De Federico resigns while Rolandi stubbornly continues his investigation, determined to do justice by himself. Directed by Luciano Ercoli, probably best known for his jolly in the 1970s, such as Death Walks at Midnight from 1972, uh, Death Walks in High Heels, and The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. He actually only directed one film after this one, the 1977 crime comedy The Ripoff, though that actually, that movie, because uh, the producer of the movie ended up being kidnapped, that it actually went unreleased for 30 years. It didn't get released Whoa. until 2007. So, uh, yeah, apparently I read that the director inherited a lot of money in the late 70s and was like no more movies for me maybe when their producer gets kidnapped that's another uh, contributing factor uh, this one was written by Gianfranco Caligaric uh, who was actually a very well-known Italian writer generally but also contributed to the script for Violent City the Charles Bronson Telly Savalas movie we've covered previously on Wild in the Streets this movie stars Claudio Casanelli as Rolandi uh, and the Arthur Kennedy the uh, the very famous American actor as Minty Armando de Frederico, the uh, the uh, kind of the higher up judge who's who's uh, searching for the the criminals in this film. Also Franco Fabrizi, uh, Saris Berati, and Bruno Zanin as Franco, the uh, but basically the, the the suspect that everyone's in search of in the movie. Liam, this is a little off model for the kind of movies that we generally cover on Wild in the Streets. It is not action packed. It is very much kind of a paranoid thriller, but there are moments of of tension and moments of real action that that are kind of short-lived in the movie as well. What did you think of Killer Cop? I mean, I was a bit distracted for a while because I was expecting one of the cops to become a killer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's so much to be... <laughs> it is a film in which there's so much to be avenged that you really are expecting Rolandi to, like, turn a corner. And that doesn't happen, right? Like, instead, it's more about his... Um, integrity you know you really get these two characters Rolandi and Minty right Minty's yeah. the, the judge and Rolandi's the uh whatever commissar or whatever yeah, um yeah. and they're both men of integrity but uh Minty you know uh, Armando Di Frederico is fundamentally against Rolandi because yeah. he represents the system. And he's well aware, even as a avatar of the system, that the system is not fully reliable, right? He's mm -hmm. trying to enforce secrecy. He knows that he can't trust everyone. But he's convinced that there has to be a centralized authority. While Rolandi, as soon as his friend is killed, he knows that the books or the official way of doing things, is it's got to go. He's got to right. do it on his own. Mm -hmm. And honestly, he's justified as much as I am not always a fan of this idea that a lot of these movies have of like, we just need one good vigilante to set things right, right? Like that's a theme of a lot of these movies. Um, it, he is correct that he can't trust this this corrupted system very much, you know? And I found all that kind of compelling. It is a bit slow though, Doug. Like it, it doesn't have, there's some, there's some fun aspects, some... Uh, chases a little bit like on foot and stuff, but sure. it it doesn't sort of explode with action. However, thematically, I mean, this is a Polizia Tetschi. I mean, because it, it's taking this event that's real. And to be fair, I didn't know it was real when I started the movie, but I think anyone who is aware of this time period in Italy's history, when this movie starts, will be like, oh, is this based on a real thing? Like, it, yeah, it, it yeah. just feels like a dramatization of a true story. Um, it takes this premise and instead of making it a political thriller or an investigation in, in the sense of like a, a competent person looking at it, it pushes this theme, this real life theme into the Polizia Tetschi model of right. mm -hmm. lone wolf guy going against the system. And it has all these earmarks. It's an incredibly cynical movie. The Very way a so. bunch of these movies are, um, it manages though to be oddly, almost apolitical. You know, in the sense mm -hmm. of like, it never confirms exactly who the perpetrators are. You know that they're in the government, but who do they represent in the government? Like, right. what faction are they a part of? 
Um, yeah, you never know for sure if they're far right or far left, and of course, right. that was that was a reality of that time period where you had you know people violence from from I don't want to both sides things, especially because the bombing it's based on was from a far right organization. But in this movie, it's not trying to come down on one political side. Well, I think there was more, and and this is where I I think my suspicion, Doug, is because mm-hmm. I think underlying this movie is still a basically conservative impulse, very right? much so. But in the context of Europe, there's actually a break between um, regular-ass conservatives and members of a fascist secret organization, right? Yeah. There are Italians who aren't stoked on communism but aren't trying to blow anybody up about it, right? And certainly aren't trying to same-team the mob, right? But Mm -hmm. this is one of the things about these fascist organizations is that oftentimes they were working with organized crime because organized crime was like, well, if we slide into communism, that kind of makes organized crime not as profitable as it could be, right? So they would often work together on a lot of these horrible atrocities. And at the time, you're right. I mean, in retrospect, most of these violent things were only done by fascists, actually. Uh, and sometimes when they were done and uh, a supposedly leftist organization took credit, it was actually uh, what we now hear people say all the time, a false flag, you know. Uh, but we only know that decades later. At the time, there was a bit of a fog of, of you know, we people kind of suspected who it was, was, but we weren't sure. So I wonder if there's some extent with this movie even if they did have some ex, you know, knowledge by 1975 of who was responsible or likely responsible, there might be a feeling of, well, we don't want to pick a side because we're, we're sort of showing this feeling of confusion. And it felt to me, Doug, that the movie wants to say that justice is not about a political idea, right? It's about people who don't have power being suppressed by people who have power power who don't care about their mm-hmm. well-being and that feels not political now for me that is political but i get it sure. i get why this movie wants to make it more about this feeling of being lied to and you know i think if there's anything about the movie that i felt a little frustrating is that we know pretty early on that they're just trying to murder everybody so there's no evidence right yeah and we wish that Rolandi, Rolandi kind of suspects that that's what's going on, but he's like not as in the know as we are. And I, I've talked about this before. I have a limited amount of patience with that. I'm okay yeah. with being mm-hmm. kept on pins and needles, and I'm okay with knowing a little bit of what the main character doesn't know for a while. But at a certain point, if I figured it out, I kind of want them to start to figure it out. And I felt like it pushed the credulity for me just a teeny bit, but not enough to make it uh, a bad movie. Uh, in the end, though, Doug, I, I like this movie. I don't love it as much as some of the other things we watched because it's not giving me some of what I want from these movies. There's not as much action. There's not as much violence. There's not like a... There's stu- not even as much sex, which is a little no. bit odd. <laughs> yeah. There's not really a stupidly masculine character going around swinging his you know metaphorical dick for no reason. Uh, and there's not, as I've said, a real clear political perspective. And one of the joys of this show has been discovering that this genre that I thought was going to be all, you know, uh, bone crushing fascist as directors has actually had a variety of perspectives on the police sure. and the state and stuff. Mm-hmm. This movie's kind of like it has it's about the state and about feeling unsure of what's real, but it doesn't take a strong perspective. And it's more about this like, one character kind of struggling, you know, and that's fine, but it just wasn't as, I don't know, it it didn't pull me in as much as some of the other movies. But overall, I think it was pretty pretty dang good for what it is. Um, it is hard to have a satisfying movie where, like, the puppet masters at its core are untouchable. Like, he's untouchable. never getting close to them. Like, even at the end, where he finds out that someone has been entrenched in the police system... And and it, you know and and there's a suggestion at the end that maybe he did kill this guy even though it's it's done with a freeze frame at the end that's the killer cop I guess of the title but even that guy's just a small cog in a huge machine that he is not even aware of right he just doesn't even know uh, doesn't have a full comprehension of just how deep that necessarily goes and that you know that's that leaves both a cynical taste in your mouth but also it makes it kind of unsatisfying and not just because you don't get to see the guy actually die Liam did you watch the English dub or the Italian dub of the film oh i did my thing where i put the english dub on but then i put on the subtitles from the italian Mm -hmm. so uh the only things i noticed was like some of the phrasing was different 
but multiple characters had different names, which yeah. I thought was interesting. And uh, instead of telling him to flee to England, she tells him to flee to Brussels. So I don't know why the English version had to say England instead of Brussels. But oh, I thought the Eng- oh, I, I didn't watch the English version. I watched the Italian specifically. I thought she said Switzerland. Oh, you're uh, right. I'm sorry, Switzerland. That's right. In yeah, the yeah. English version, Doug, she says flee to England, and I'm like, why the <laughs> fuck would he go to England? I don't understand why she said that. <laughs> Wonder what what prompted that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, this is a movie, as you were kind of getting at, it isn't explicitly pro-police. It's kind of pro this cop in particular, right? Right. It's like, because even his good friend, who's kind of played as kind of like a a bumbling cop who gets murdered pretty early in the movie. I mean, like he's introduced saying that he, he went home with two women and had sex with both of them. Like, it's not that he's creepy. He's supposed to be likable. But the idea is that these are not the most dedicated, hardworking cops generally. It's just this guy. And like yourself, Liam, I found the movie very uneven because I like the Rolandi stuff a lot and the Minty stuff, the the Armando de Federici, the Arthur Kennedy character. I found that some of that stuff interesting on kind of a political and paranoia level, but it was it's a lot drier. And also just knowing that our two lead characters are kind of at odds with each other when they should be kind of pulling in the same direction adds another level of frustration to it. But I did like that the Arthur Kennedy character, when he's kind of introduced, he's like, look, this isn't going to be one of those cases where the main witness is just going to disappear or I'm going to get fired right before the big revelation happens. There's a recognition, as you said, that he is part of a system that's already corrupt and it's really hard to maneuver within it. (laughs) The fact that he doesn't think that the one guy who he has relied on might be the one uh, involved in like feeding information to the bad guys. It it happens pretty late in the, in terms of a reveal, but I mean, I think it works um, generally as a movie and I think it probably encompasses and, and captures a sense of actual real distrust and paranoia that was taking place in Italy at the time. It's kind Mm -hmm. of a different Mm -hmm. sort of paranoia than American paranoia, right? I mean, it's similar in a way in terms of like someone pulling the strings and big faceless organizations. But here there's almost not a sci-fi aspect, but there's almost James Bondian and how they're presenting these guys. It's just like they're so like the, the ones who are really pulling the strings, they're in an office miles away. Right. They're just they're listening to stuff. They are following everyone involved. As soon as anyone gets too close, they just kill him. And if that person, uh, the boss of that person is getting uh, too knowledgeable, they'll kill that person as well. It's just a cycle of murder. And uh, and as I said, even at the end, even when um, our, our lead, when uh, Rolandi decides to kind of take justice into his own hands, even if he ends up killing that guy. Doesn't change the system, doesn't change the machine. It all just kind of keeps going as it as it goes. What did you think of this performance of Claudio Casanelli as Rolandi? I think he's one of the best parts of the movie, honestly. Like I, I really found him interesting. I think the character works for what he is, which is he's not bad at his job, right? That sort of sets him apart from his friend. Yeah. But he's not the smartest guy either. You know, he's not mm-hmm. a master cop. He's not a super cop, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the appeal, right? Is he's just a regular guy who's like, This doesn't make any sense. You know, and that's sort of what keeps compelling him is like this 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 doesn't work. Why is it happening this way? You know, whatever, whatever. And so that's interesting. I also really liked. Um, I know he's it's kind of a cl- annoying character, but I really liked the bumbling bomb guy. You know, the guy who takes the wrong suitcase. Oh, Ludovici, who, absolutely. I thought he was so good. In fact, way better than his compatriots. We've got yeah. you know because it's him and he's kind of a fumbling heroin addict who you know can't keep his shit together and then he's got his uh hot friend and his hot friend's hot girlfriend and hot friend and hot girlfriend useless characters serve almost no purpose other than to convince you basically they needed some cool cats around because no one would hire ludovici to do shit if you were in a room for him for five minutes you'd say no not this guy this guy can't do it but the idea is that he's joined these two friends who are clearly using him and they're the ones who gave off the aura of we got this. But obviously they don't got this if they let Ludovici do a goddamn thing, right? Because yeah, that yeah. dude does not have a shit together whatsoever. I I really like that character, the Ludovici character. And I think that the movie does a pretty good job of making him feel somewhat sympathetic, right? I mean, look, he's still pulling guns on innocent people and stuff like that. But he very much is – he when the – when the bombing happens, he's obviously he tries to stop it right ahead of it happening. He is obviously very apologetic and wants to turn himself in at after it happens. He's he's 
obviously not the smartest cat in the world. So, uh, and he's on the run for a lot of it. And of course, he gets dispatched and murdered in a kind of a brutal way as well. Yeah, it's a really great character. I mean, also, I think the the American inclination to make every patsy also a hero yeah. is one of the problems with American films. It's like, yeah, sometimes a patsy's a patsy, and we don't have to also kind of vaguely admire him. Like, you don't admire Lou. You understand that, like he made a mistake and that mistake was deadly but also no one should have put this idiot in charge of anything that could explode in the first place yeah that was yeah. just a bad plan and and i think it helps that they're so shitty because it's a reminder that these people behind the scenes who have enough power to protect themselves they're not necessarily good at what they do either it's not like yeah. this is one of the things whenever there's a a cabal of shitty people we make them out to seem like they're magic and they can do the because we just want to think that it's hard for us to fight them but in reality they're they're stupid too everybody's stupid and they all make stupid mistakes and also you know his cool cat friends they're just as much being manipulated as everybody else and they're just 100%. as and they're just as easy to dispatch one of my favorite scenes in this is when they are given a car to basically escape you know all three of them are going to escape from that part of italy that they're in and they get into the car and they think immediately Oh shit! This car is gonna blow up if we start it. So he's like, "I'm gonna check the engine first. So he gets out and he checks the engine, gets back in the car. He's like, you know, he's a lot more confident now. Turns it on, you know, puts it into reverse, and it just blows up immediately. Um, and you know, it's it's that's the kind of level of paranoia, even amongst the people who, you know, even within these groups of villains that they're all part of, they don't trust each other either. It's kind of an internal paranoia. I really liked it. But back to Rolandi for a second. He's not like a really, like, as we said, he's not a super cop. He's not a dirty Harry. He wears glasses. He reads Moby Dick constantly. He's kind of a weirdo, you know? He, just the way that he acts is is kind of a little bit unique and off-putting. My favorite thing that he does in the movie is, so there's this explosion in the hotel, and uh, the porter or the, the person working behind the desk at the hotel, his corpse had glasses in its hand, and everyone thought that, that the glasses be belonged to, to him, but the way he was holding it, was because he had wrestled that the glasses off of the Ludovici character. And he, the cop, uh, Rolandi, discovers this by looking at it, he looks at it, and then the way he demonstrates it is he gets another cop to try to fight his glasses off his own face just to see how it would end up in that cop's hand. Uh, I mean, he's a unique fella, is what I should say. I really like the performance. Unfortunately, Claudio Casanelli, the, the actor, he passed away at a very uh, early age. He was only in his mid-40s. He died in a helicopter crash, Liam, uh, when they were making the movie Hands of Steel, the sci-fi action movie from the eighties. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he, you know, he was in a bunch of of uh, Gialli and a lot of like sci-fi mm -hmm. stuff. He was, he's in, like, I definitely recognized him. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't totally familiar, but I was like, okay, I've seen this. But this happens a lot with these movies. I've seen a lot sure. of these folks in movies before. Yeah, right, and and, and they also have different looks in a lot of the movies. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that, like, even the. The hitman guy that we see, who's one, who's really the only person that we see Rolandi actually kill in the movie. I don't know if we've seen him before, but what a distinctive face that guy! Guy's yes. got a square head. It's like a Jack Kirby fucking character. Uh, Liam, did you have a favorite sequence in the movie? I, it's not action packed, but there is you know suspenseful scenes and and some action throughout. What was your uh, favorite bit? Hmm, that's a good question, Doug. Um, I mean, it's easy to because it's the last one, and you did just bring it up it's easy to focus on him going after this uh killer especially because it's the first time that um he's somewhat vindicated like other people see this guy so it's like Rolandi's finally off the hook and so there's something kind of satisfying about that but i don't know if it's my favorite honestly i kind of liked even though it's a bit bumbling in its way i kind of liked when his friend was going after uh the uh ludovici character uh right. just because he has to keep getting people did you see a guy with the green jacket yeah, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. there's just something about him he's out of shape he's old but he's going to try to make it happen i just found that really charming you know uh but the part it's it's not an action pack scene but I actually laughed at it, Doug, was the thing you just described where the two characters blow themselves up. <laughs> I know it's not supposed to be funny, but it was so funny to me because when he goes, all right, looks good to me. I'm like, ah, come on. <laughs> just the confidence that he shows is like, I don't know why I was thinking they were going to kill us. And then he just fucking dies. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, the very fact that, that, uh, that, um, the Franco character, Ludovici, that he is 
outside of the car at that point because he's dropped his bag and it's opened just because he's separated like you know as an audience member that that car is going to explode there's just yeah no there's way. no there's no way yeah 100 yeah, yeah, um i also thought it was funny when or i guess not funny it's kind of tragic but it was funny the way they did it when he gets tossed out the window right like yeah. he has this tense shootout with rolandi where rolandi manages to get him in the leg and you're like mm-hmm. okay this is it and then this dude just comes rushing in and hits rolandi in the head and then throws him out the window and i was like that's perfect because it's <laughs> not that it's unexpected you knew it was going to happen but they shoot it in such a way that it feels random. It almost felt like a like a like a a, a comedy bit, right? The way yeah. he just kind of rushes it, like, "Oh, look out!" You know. And then when he throws out the window, he makes a little joke about it. You know, that was good. I liked that a lot. Ludovici's reaction to the guy coming in and hitting Rolandi over the head is just like, "Oh, thank you so much." He was trying to shoot me, and then as he's saying that, the guy throws him out the window. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's brutal, but it is kind of amusing. There's that great sequence where Ludovici, because he, um, as I just mentioned, he wore glasses, but he, his sight is very, very bad. And so he goes to an optometrist. And as a pretty clever clever part of the movie is that Rolandi has an optometrist friend who calls all of the different eye doctors uh, around the entire city and tells them to look out for this guy because he's going to come in to try to get replacement glasses. And um, eventually Rolandi gets a call that he's arrived at one of these these stores and as he's trying to get there he's trying to rush he's stuck in traffic the optometrist is trying to keep uh ludovici there he's trying to keep him there you know he's trying to slow down and then he actually uh, there's a radio report saying <laughs> a very unlucky radio report saying that they ha- are looking for the person who's uh, searching for glasses and it's only a matter of time before they find him really really unfortunate but then it leads to another one of those kind of brief chase sequences where they're trying to track him down. But that's like, this is a movie that there isn't like car chases necessarily. It's really all about like foot chases, like trying to get to places, people disappearing, people going around corners and trying to track them down or not seeing the people like the guy who, um, they shoot the, uh, the, the friend cop character, the kind of bumbling guy, he shoots him with like an umbrella gun and then just kind of disappears into the crowd. The idea is just like everyone's being watched at any particular time. It's a very paranoid style movie. Um, what did you think of Arthur Kennedy? As uh, I'm just going to call him Minty. Basically, he's the, as we mentioned before, De-, De Frederico, the guy who's in charge of the investigation. It's hard because I hate that character. You know, like he, why do you hate him so much? Uh, because he is so hostile towards. You know, the first time he's hostile towards Rolandi, I get it because he's acting in a way that feels somewhat untrustworthy. But again, it's so clear that he is being. Uh, uh, horn swoggled by one of his guys, but he yeah. still is so hostile towards Rolandi. Like, how dare you investigate this on your own? That thing at the end is where it's like, uh, my mistake is that I uh, that I thought I shouldn't trust anyone except for like you, and I shouldn't even have trusted you. It's like, yeah, why the fuck did you trust that guy? What, what got you? What got what got you two connected that made you think that he would be the guy that you should tell everything? It's fine. It's fine. It's just it's hard for me to evaluate his performance beyond that sort of aspect that I did not particularly like. Uh, that being said, I think he's good. You know, I think he has the vibe. He's very much like a uh, – he gets his way because he has a bit of an attitude about it. He's kind of like, I do what I want and you can't tell me otherwise. Yeah. And I think he really embodies that. But a lot of the movie, I'm just so annoyed. Like, yo, man, it's clearly one of your dudes – so can you get your shit together, you know? It's a really difficult thing because he is rightfully paranoid, right? He know, he says right from the beginning, it's like, I don't trust anyone. I'm going to keep it insular. I'm the one who's in charge of the investigation. But because he doesn't trust anyone, he doesn't trust Rolandi, who's the one person that maybe could have helped him get to where he wants to go, right? I mean, the, the part with the eyeglasses, he only figures out because Rolandi has already figured it out. And they've kind of connected the two together. But Rolandi, man, what a... Like, he's getting accused of shit left and right. He gets accused of killing the very guy that he goes to arrest. Like, his whole point is, I want to get to this guy before someone else kills him. And and he ends up being framed for his murder. Really unfortunate for the guy. Well, and I think the thing about it, too, is that, um, yeah, he is paranoid towards Rolandi. But to some extent, the fact that that the killed police officer is his, is Rolandi's friend, right? Right, absolutely. And the response from the judge is like, oh, we're all very sorry about his passing. But it's like, well, here's your opportunity to maybe do something about that. And it almost felt to me like he, 
it, it almost felt like he was motivated by his shame mm-hmm. about letting that guy get killed. You know what I mean? And that felt like it made me not like the character very much. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, it is. I do like that moment at the end, right, where they're crossing each other on the steps, and it's just like there's finally an understanding that they were both trying to do the same right thing, and both of them have failed spectacularly. And it's just, it, it is just kind of like a really sad moment. And then you get that kind of postscript of Rolandi taking the law into his own hands, but you never, except for again, just text on a screen, you don't realize necessarily exactly how that works out. Uh, what do you think of the soundtrack? Uh, obviously, soundtracks are a huge part. A lot of these Eurocrime movies of this time period. Uh, what did you think of the soundtrack to this one? It was great. I yeah. uh, it it really had a, a fun kind of dynamic uh, thing going on. It wasn't just. It's one of those things where you notice it, like it it adds to the scene, but it didn't get distracting sometimes in a couple of these movies we've watched the soundtrack is going so crazy that you're kind of mm-hmm. like was this written for a different movie because this doesn't <laughs> really fit but I, I felt like while everything was really solid it all kind of worked within the movie and and i appreciated that it's definitely the sort of thing not that i would see it but if i saw like a, a copy of this i would buy it this is something i could put on in in the background while i'm doing stuff and really enjoy yeah yeah it, it's uh, it definitely has kind of that era-specific sound to it where it's very propulsive, but it also has those kind of electric guitar kind of wang sounds that are sort of uh, similar to what you hear in, in like Ennio Marconi scores for Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, it's great. It's terrific. Very, And you're exactly right. It sometimes feels like in these movies that like these soundtracks have like, instead of the, a Hollywood movie where they might have like 40 minutes of music, that they only have like 15 minutes of music and just repeat it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, I think the fact that this movie doesn't have a lot of lengthy action sequences is good for the soundtrack because it only pops in and you're only noticing it, you know, in, in really specific circumstances. I did notice something kind of strange, though. I watched the Italian dub, but I started watching the English dub. I just found it very distracting. But the music uh, is the same, but it's way louder in the uh, U.S. dub initially, so it kind of blocks out some of the dialogue, uh, it, and it kind of changes the tone of how the movie starts a little bit. But yeah, it's definitely front and center for a lot of the uh, major part of the action. Well, I will say the copy we watched, the there must have been scenes that were included that weren't included in the original English release. Oh, interesting. there are multiple scenes where it just switches back to Italian for uh, a little bit and then mm-hmm. switches back to English. And that usually happens because it's like a part that was cut out of the yep. English, you know, uh, release. Liam, any final thoughts on Killer Cop outside of the fact that it is a mistitled <laughs> movie? I mean, it is very much mistitled. I do think the police... The the you know the police's hands are tied or whatever it was, uh, that that is a better title to some extent. I do think that it does still come from a place of like, um, if if the police were less constrained by the rule of law, maybe they could do what's right, and that is still a theme in this movie. It's just easier to be sympathetic to that theme in this movie because mm-hmm. the opposition are. Awful people in power who are who are just murdering folks for no good reason, right? There's not even a motivation. They just were experimenting with different kinds of bombs, and they blew up a bunch of uh, of uh, foreign exchange students for no yeah. reason. Yeah, and so like you know, it it, it makes sense. You kind of want Rolandi to be able to do whatever the fuck he wants to get these people, but they're it's still going along with this idea that the rule of law is more trouble than it's worth. So that might be a bit of a bummer for some viewers, but I'll say, you know, it doesn't have like any sexual violence, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. not, it, it's maybe less exciting or, uh, you know, maybe some folks, what they like about these movies is how gritty and even gross they can be. It's yeah, not yeah. that. The exploitative elements. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I still thought it was a pretty engaging thriller. I just, I wish it had a little more of something. Mm-hmm. Um, um but I don't regret watching. I still think it was good. It just it's not one of the best ones we've seen so far in this exercise. Yeah, you'd never put it on one of those lists of like the best Euro crime movies that you've seen. But I will say that it gives me a lot of hope for those middle of the road ones to still be pretty interesting. And I'm glad we watched it because it um 
it's more than just workmanlike. It's definitely commenting on a era of Italian history that we've seen kind of in the background uh, in a lot of the movies that we talked about. But this one gets kind of really specific in regards to things that were happening and that people were specifically afraid of. One of the things I like about this movie is in the background of almost all the scenes are just tons of people just wandering around. You see in the subway, right? It's like all these people have got to watch out because all these horrible things are happening in their midst and they have to be kind of afraid all the time because of it. And that's a... Um, it's a relatable feeling, just the idea of being afraid because you don't feel that the people who are supposed to be protecting you either have the tools or have your best interests in mind. Yeah, I appreciated that as well. And just the feeling of um, that it, it it was one of the more, I mean, it probably isn't, but it felt like one of the more realistic depictions of this kind of world that was mm-hmm. actually kind of happening to some extent at the time, you know? Liam, on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, uh, we're doing something a little bit different. We've exclusively on this program discussed Italian crime movies up to this point. But Eurocrime, it's not just Italy, it's Europe. So on the next episode, and I did have to convince Liam of this, (laughs) we're going to go to France with 1982's Les Marginal, a.k.a. The Outsider, starring Jean-Paul Belmondo. Now, I have not seen this movie, Liam. This might be a huge mistake on my part. Uh, it does co-star Henry Silva, who we've seen several times on this show, and it does have a soundtrack by Ennio Morricone. So, you know, it's not going to be so different. But uh, what are your feelings on the next episode of non-Italian Eurocrime movie? I mean, if it ends up being good, then I was always in favor of this idea. <laughs> and if it ends up being bad, then you really fucked up the show. <laughs> we'll just remove it from our, our history if that's how it ends up going. Yeah. I'm curious about it. Uh, I know when Jean-Paul Belmondo died, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, um, there was a lot of people like really celebrating the fact that you know, of his stunt work and things like that and his action movies. And I have to be honest, I just have never dug into it. And I thought this would be a fun opportunity. I love how the promote the poster, by the way, the Belmondo is larger than the title of the movie itself on the poster. <laughs> he was definitely the star. And, it, you know, it's a very Eurocrime looking poster. So, yeah, I'm very curious on the next episode. We're going to be watching The Outsider. Liam, if people want to check out uh, more episodes of Wild in the Streets or some other wonderful podcast, uh, where's the best place for them to look? I mean, of course, they can always go to Cinepunks.com, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, for the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as a whole family of podcasts like Twitch of the Death Nerve, Tomb of Ideas, uh, The Carnage Report, Horror Business, a a bunch of topics covered by a bunch of interesting people. Um, They can also head to our website, Doug, cinemasmorgasbord.com, for the archive uh, where we have organized our old episodes by topic, whether you want to hear more of Wild in the Streets or you want to hear Praising Kane, our Carol Kane-focused podcast, or uh, Jodorowsky, our uh, Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky-focused podcast, or, or whatever. Even if you just <laughs> want to hear our Christmas episodes, you can find those over there at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, you can also follow Cinema Smorgasbord on Twitter, uh, at, at Cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. Uh, if you're enjoying what you're hearing right now, why don't you tell a friend? Why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Liam, where can people find you on social media these days? I mean, I'm on Blue Sky, uh, and I'm on Instagram. But, like, you know, don't don't worry about that. Just follow <laughs> Cinepunks. Cinepunks is on Blue Sky and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, all C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. You can find me on Blue Sky. Just look up Doug Tilly. It's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can do a search for both Cinema Smorgasbord and my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over on Facebook as well. But for now, Liam, we need to take a little break. We're going to get wild in the streets again very soon. Good night, everyone. Night-night. Feel